Hello and welcome to Alameda County Library's Read On podcast. We're talking about new books, classic books, and other fun stuff you can get from your library. We hope you enjoy. Find us on the web at aclibrary.org. Welcome to Forthcoming Books. Hey, everybody, this is Chris, and I'm back with another edition of Forthcoming. And today I'm reviewing uh, The Gods of Tango by Carolina de Robertis. Carolina de Robertis is the author of Invisible Mountain and Perla, two popular and critically acclaimed works of historical fiction set in Uruguay and Argentina. Her third novel, The Gods of Tango, also set in those two countries, is due out July 7th and will no doubt be also well-loved. The Gods of Tango tells the story of Lida, a restless and independent teen in a small Italian village who agrees to marry her cousin Dante just before he leaves to find work in Argentina. When he sends for her a year later, she is definitely ready for a new chapter in her life, and she's ready to leave behind the shame of a family secret. After the long Atlantic crossing, She arrives in Buenos Aires in 1913 with only a few possessions, including her father's violin, only to find that her husband Dante has been killed during a labor protest. Kindly immigrants take her in, and she works as a seamstress, refusing to return to Italy. Hearing tango music for the first time, she is quickly intoxicated. As a girl, she longed to play her father's violin, but was not allowed to pursue her interest in music. After hearing the first sounds of tango, she begins to practice in secret and silently. It's one of the coolest scenes in the book. She's playing a violin just by moving her fingers um, to form the notes, but she's not using the bow. And she knows she can never play tango in public as a woman. After all, it's the music of cabarets and brothels, right? So she cuts her hair, binds her breasts, and begins to live as Dante, eventually joining one of the best tango orchestras in Buenos Aires. And she's living, as Carolina writes, freer than any she thought any woman could ever live. Living as Dante is a risk, but it also allows Lita to explore her repressed sexuality in thrilling and dangerous ways. Di Robertis' writing resembles tango dancing. That was one of the best things about it. It's her writing, just like tango dancing, is intimate and dramatic. Longing is interspersed with these staccato bursts of passion. Her descriptions of the music and dance and the sights and sounds of tango cabarets and immigrant tenements are really lush. While telling Lita's story, she includes vignettes from the lives of other denizens of Buenos Aires, weaving this rich tale of that time and place. But Lita, who becomes Dante, is the courageous star, and her perilous existence mirrors and illuminates the lives of so many 20th century immigrants who came to reinvent themselves in the Americas. Her story is so well-developed, you will root for her the whole way. So if you're a fan of music, of dance, and watching the blossoming of characters once considered to be outcasts, you will love this book. And we have a special treat for you. Uh, De Robertis, who lives in Oakland, will be appearing at the Castro Valley Library on Tuesday evening, August 18th at 6.30 p.m. She'll be discussing the gods of tango, and then you'll have a chance to watch some local tango dancers, and you'll get to learn a few steps yourself. So please join us.
And at least they're not eating people, right? Or, well. How far did you get? I didn't get that far. <laughs> I don't have any spoilers, so. All right, this is Kate Epler, and I apologize, I have a cold. My name is Dean Jones, and I do not. And we are here to talk about oddball books. This is our segment where we discuss things that we found in the library that you might be surprised to find in the library. Today, we'll be talking about David Cronenberg's first novel called Consumed, which Dean talked me into reading. I'm very sorry. Yes, you should be. <laughs> but I should have known better because I had seen Cronenberg's movie Crash, which, and let's, let me just sort of try to keep this family friendly. Cronenberg is interested in exploring... Um, the edges of things like sexual desire and how we relate to our machines and technology and what might be even marginally socially acceptable. Um, so this this guy is pretty much calculated to gross you out, which is what he did for me. Dean, would you like to describe why I was grossed out? Well, one of the major topics of the story um, that it gets into is cannibalism. Well, cannibalism is not a very user-friendly topic. And while it is not the entire crux of the entire book, it gets fleshed out, pun intended, quite uh, disgustingly, and people with a squeamish heart might have a problem with parts of this book. Pretty much all of this book. I mean, he just goes like, it's it's cannibalism, it's um, sort of medical sex, it's uh, something that you would think would maybe repulse you. Cronenberg is interested in exploring the ways in which it would attract you. So just as like a background on, on his interest, I mentioned the movie Crash a second ago. Crash is a, is a movie about people who are turned on by car accidents. Like, they just really like that metal-on-metal metal thing, and he kind of explores that to the fullest. This is a book about people who were turned on by different roles our bodies can play, I guess, in life. Yeah, maybe. and it's, it's interesting, though, because as the story progresses, it starts to take on other tones. And one of the most important parts of the book are when it starts talking about what is real and what is not real. And as we live in the Facebook age, and I know I've been punked by um, by uh, news articles that weren't real mm -hmm. or um, things that I thought were very poignant in the time, only to find out it was three or four years old. Yeah. You start getting into the idea of what am I really reacting to or what am I perceiving with the Facebook age and the Twitter age, um, and Instagram. We have all these images that we see daily. But what is real and what's not real? Yeah. These characters, he has two main characters, and they're both sort of journalists. And they're very obsessed with their technology. That was an interesting thing I found about this book is that we, we're hearing a lot about different kinds of cameras, different kinds of phones, computers. There's one character who whenever she gets to a new location, she unpacks all of her stuff and makes a little nest out of all of her cords and her chargers and things like that. It was an interesting juxtaposition for me with, with the rest of the subjects of the book, which is talking about very earthy, super gross kinds of things. Well, the, the characters Naomi and Nathan are the protagonists of the story. And they're very interesting because like Freddie Stanellis' characters, they're not entirely likable or not really likable at all. But they're interesting because they're very human. And, and at least they're not eating people, right? Or, well... How far did you get? I didn't get that far. <laughs> I don't have any spoilers, so... Oh, man. I got like halfway. By halfway, they have not yet eaten anyone. Well, I don't want to I don't want to spoil that. Or have they? If you have a strong stomach, go ahead and read through. <laughs> No, no, I was so mad at you when I was reading this. I'm so sorry. I was sitting there on the train like, why? No more. I mean, I, again, I should have known, but like no warning, no by the way. I get that a lot, by the way. And, and I probably should profess anything that I recommend that it might actually have that reaction later on. Yeah, well, I know better now. So but for all you out there, you know, Dean recommends just heads up. It's going to it's going to stretch your boundaries a little bit, maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, definitely. I think we did a very good job of keeping this family friendly. Yes. If you think you might be interested, grab the book. If you think you're not interested, you're definitely not interested. Stay away from the book. And if you want to kind of read something, it might kind of give you a chance to explore or even read it with friends and discuss it later on after the book's over. It might be kind of fun to read, even though you might be repulsed at times. Oh, yeah. Make your book club hate you. If you do read it with a book club, have it at the end. Have a barbecue. Oh, no. Oh, Dean. Oh, my God. All right. We're out. This has been Oddball Books. The life-changing magic of tidying up. Elisa. Alice. Natalie. Andrew. I tried it. Oh, hello. Today we're trying to talk about uh, the life-changing magic of tidying up. We tried it. How did we do? As for myself, uh, I didn't make it past the first chapter because there's this whole marathon weeding your stuff thing she mentions, and it struck me that I've been doing that, and I only own half the stuff in my apartment. So that's as far as I got. I'm afraid I failed it. How did y'all do? Well, my Marie Kondo story is that I have a friend in L.A. who's been doing it and had been posting it on Facebook and hashtagging everything Marie, just K-O-N and then Marie, which if you're on Twitter, you'll find a lot of people have been hashtagging that and showing all of her piles of stuff and talking about her joy in this new life, which made me want to figure it out. So I got the book and I read the whole thing. And she is a bit kooky, but I found it inspiring. The overall thing of the book is that you go through all of, you, all of your belongings, each one of your belongings, one by one, and you hold it and you ask yourself the question, does this spark joy in me? And if it does, you keep it. If it does not, you put it in a bag and, and get rid of it. And then one day you'll only be, only be surrounded by things that you love in your home. So, so far I've gotten rid of three bags of clothes, two and a half or so bags of books, and two bags of what she calls kimono, which is pretty much just random crap. Yeah, I, I actually do have two bags of clothes in my car. It, I did work on it, but now every I have to like actually bring things to my husband and go, do you want this? One by one. And it's a little bit hard. So I thought it actually helped me more with shopping. Because now when I, I was going clothes shopping and tried on a dress and I could have been like, I had the moment first of my, my usual thought of, oh, this is, I could use this, I could wear this, it'd be good for work, whatever. But then I thought, wait, does this dress spark joy in me? And it did not. So I saved myself 50 bucks. Oh, excellent. <laughs> yes. Anybody else? Well, um, I also read the book a little while ago. And what I've been doing is I have also gone through my clothes. Now they're all ordered in by color which makes me very happy. I have a drawer just of rainbow clothes, which is great. I live with my husband and we ended up going back to his parents' place a little while ago. And there's a chapter where she mentions making sure that if you still have your things at your parents' place, going through those boxes, getting rid of your stuff, you know, so that they have more room to live in. So this past weekend, we actually did that. We went to his parents' place and they were like, oh, you're going to go through one of our boxes? Great. It's been a pretty good experience. She also has very special ways of folding. Like she says, yes. you should never tie your socks up. You should just fold them because they've had a hard day on your feet taking you around town. So you should give them a break. But there are a lot of interesting little um, ideas in this little book. I guess I'm here to see should I try it because I didn't read the book. I'm a single male. And I don't know if I'm good at tidying up. But I, I guess I would ask those of you guys that read it is uh, my impression 
from here in the summary is like, is this some David Allen getting things done version of clothing? Like, which just brings up a ton of anxiety, which would make me want to just invo- <laughs> like, where would you start if you were saying, okay, and, and I don't know, I can't picture myself going through everything out and holding holding it. Like, what concrete advice could you guys give me? Where should I start? Well, I think the thing that helps is she says that she organizes everything by type. So she says, you know, pick clothes. But if clothes, if you have too many clothes, then pick one thing like shirts. So you can like, you can start as tiny as you can. And her kind of like one big sweep, she said it could take you six months for that one big sweep. Because the idea is like once you have gone through all of your crap and more all of your, your wonderful things once, then you never have to do it again because you've sorted out kind of the, how you should feel about objects. And do you think that um, like going on Twitter or finding someone else like, like within the community that's doing it can give you hope through those six months? Because that seems Absolutely. like a, I, I would yeah. think it would give you someone to do it with. Yeah, and that, right. would, give you, part, yeah. and that yes. would give you like also somebody to, um, to get, oh, I don't know if I can they say, oh, no, keep working. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of that whenever I've lagged, I looked at my friend and she's still, you know, hashtagging things, which kind of keeps you going. And BuzzFeed had kind of a fun collection of like the top 20 tweets about con marie my favorite my favorite which was like something like this chick is a freak and i love her yes <laughs> which kind of sums yes. up the book maybe <laughs> yes exactly i don't know if papers are an issue for you but that's another whole segment uh, where she goes over you know oh do you have too many receipts do you have too many whatever it is and she's managed to reduce it down to just three categories like currently using need to keep for a temporary amount of time and must keeps i have gone through that segment and i went from like the most ridiculous pile of papers to a very small amount and that has definitely made my life easier knowing exactly (laughs) where everything is it's it's not just closed. Yeah, and if you want to check very, it out, yeah. yeah, we have the library at the Alameda County Library, That's and right. we have e-copies as well. Yes, we do. Yes. You might have to get in line and wait for a while, but you can look at the hashtags while you're waiting for the book to arrive like I did. Well, I think my interest has peaked, especially with what you were saying, because it's more neutral being mm-hmm. able with the papers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try it. All right. And this is Kate, and I have a question. What do I do about the objects that don't bring me joy but I need, like my toothbrush? She actually – okay, so I went, yeah, a, bit fr- I went a bit further than reading the book, and she has a Reddit AMA, which I read, and someone asked that question. And what she said is you have to learn to love those objects by thinking about what they do for you. So this object – like um, so, I'm supposed to think about my lack of cavities. Like, say if you have, like, <laughs> say you have a spatula that maybe you're not crazy about, but the spatula allows you to flip your pancakes, mm. which bring you joy. And... I, I actually bought a spatula that I love, so <laughs> it's one of those silicone ones, so it's not melty. Yeah, because I don't love my toothbrush, but I don't love my dentist either. So, yeah, but you yes. love that you have teeth and they haven't rotted and fallen out. I, I do love that I have teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love your teeth, Kate. Love yes.